again, and welcome back to the Know YO podcast, where you'll learn a little bit more about Wyoming and hear stories from some of uh, our state's most interesting uh, characters. Today, we're joined by a special guest, Susan Anderson, and you're going to learn all about Susan, and we're super excited for this conversation. Um, I'm Sam Shumway, and I'm the state director for AERP, and Tanya Johnson is with us. Tanya is our outreach director. Tanya, say Hello. Hello. Perfect. And, and Susan, you can say hi as well. Hello as well. <laughs> Hello as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. As we always do, before we jump into the conversation, we like to do a little bit of trivia so people can learn uh, a little bit more about Wyoming. And so with that, uh, we've got three questions. Tanya and Susan, you guys are a team. And so you can answer these questions together. Um, and, and this time I focused on Casper. And so the three questions will be about Casper. Tanya lived in Casper for a while. Susan's from Casper. So, uh, you guys should be able to get this easy. Um, as, as you know, um, Casper, the, the, the town of Casper is spelled C-A-S-P-E-R, but there's Fort Casper, uh, and, and there's the, uh, Lieutenant Casper Collins that, uh, the town is named after. So the question is, why uh, why is Casper now spelled with an E-R instead of A-R as Fort Casper and Casper Collins were spelled? I know. Do you? <laughs> Tanya? I think I do. I think I do, yeah. Go ahead, <laughs> Go ahead Tanya. We'll see. Um, so so it just, they spelled it incorrectly, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they knew it was Casper Collins, C-A-S-P-A-R. But when they were writing it originally, they put C-A-S-P-E-R. And so, I think there's that- some blame for the uh, railroad. I think whoever was doing the railroad stop here spelled it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, when the town was officially registered, they spelled it, they, there was a typo. They spelled it wrong. And so um, as far as the um, railroad blame, I'm not, we'll have to look into that, Susan. But I, we got to place the blame somewhere, right? Yeah, right. We need to... <laughs> some, some railroad person not in Wyoming who decided. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay, good. One for one. Next question. Casper received a significant number of visitors on August 21st, 2017 due to this particular event. What was the event? Well, I had 32 people at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I only had two at my house. <laughs> so what, what was the event? The eclipse. The, eclipse. the solar eclipse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Casper I had a lot of land and there were like, it looked like an Everest base camp. There were all these like, um, tents here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Wyoming, like some other States fell on sort of that line of totality, I think is what it was called mm-hmm. or the path of totality. And so Casper saw this huge influx. I, um, I was in Glendo. Some friends of ours had oh a cabin gosh. in Glendo. Oh, it was crazy. So, yeah. so the eclipse happened, which was really a lot cooler than I thought it would be. Had, had, had any yeah. right. Yeah. No one can tell you how cool it is. <laughs> right. It's incredible. It was, yeah. It was weird. Like, I, it was like nothing I'd ever, and I was just like, oh, it's an eclipse, whatever, you know, we're going to, but I was just like standing there and like looking around, like, this is surreal. This isn't, this doesn't yeah. feel real. It was anyway. Um, so I'm in Glendo and um, th- we drove up the day before and, you know, there's that big field by, up by the lake and it was empty. And I'm like, Oh, they're, you know, they planned all this, but nobody's going to show up. So we were kind of on the backside at a friend's cabin driving out. We just got stuck and there were cars, you know, I, I 25 was just back to wall to wall traffic. So Susan, you had 35 people at your house. Right. Well, one of, 
at that time, I was working at the Casper Mountain Science School on Casper Mountain, and all of these um, science nerd interns had cycled through there. So we had a reunion, and they were all invited to come and bring their tents and stay on our property, and okay. it was pretty great. Did you feel like responsible for feeding them all and letting them yes. shower at your well, house? Then the power went out the morning, <laughs> and then it came back. But anyway, yeah. But they yeah. were pretty self-sufficient because they were um, science interns. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> It was it was a it was a cool time. They say mm -hmm. like a million people, a million visitors to the state during that time. I saw. Well, it I sat here and watched the bumper to bumper traffic on Highway 220 for. Well, yeah. you were probably in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we <laughs> were. down down at Glendo. Yeah, yeah, we were. It was it was crazy. Um, good. Last question. You guys are ready? You're two for two. Hey, come on, Susan. Um, we got this. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are gonna get this last one because it's kind of silly and. Uh, but I, I have some questions about it when, when I, after I ask the question, there are two 30 foot statues of cartoon characters in front of this restaurant in Casper. <laughs> I know. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Only oh. because I have nieces and nephews that love, love to go okay. there when I lived there. Sanford's. I, I, Sanford's. Yes. <laughs> really? There's a daffy duck, right? And a, and a bunny and a rat, the rabbit. It's Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Yeah. 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 Giant, <laughs> giant statues in front of, in front of Sanford's. Well, I feel pretty good that I stumped you, Susan. I thought, I didn't yeah. think you were going to, um, you know, that's a, it's a big win, I think. Um, so, so, but here's my question. Like they are exact replicas of Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. I'm assuming, isn't there like some sort of licensing that you would have to do to be able to build these 30 foot statues of cartoon characters? I would I think know. so. I bet they did. I hope they did. Yeah. Well. <laughs> are they still open? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Don't ask me. I don't even know where these statues are. So. Oh, well. Hey. <laughs> so there, you, you know where the mall is. Yeah. In Casper, if you go down the mall, the street of the mall, and then turn right to head up to the interstate, um, uh -huh. Sanford's is kind of off to the right. I think. Anyway. Right there by the Flying J. Right there oh, by the okay. right there by the Flying J. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I better make a trip out there. Yeah, get over there. Get over there and check them out. Um, okay, good. Well, with that fun behind us, uh, great job. You guys, I don't know, win a prize or something. Good good teamwork. Um, let's let's uh, let's talk to Susan. Let's get to know Susan. Oh, and uh, Susan, one of the things uh, that we do at the end is we'll all, we ask three questions as well, and I didn't mention this when we were talking before, but the three questions are – and and. We'll we'll see if we can get to them. We may have to split this in half. We talked about this before, and so we may do two separate uh, episodes with you because there's a lot to talk about. But the three questions just to be thinking about before we jump into into talking about kind of your life and your life story is the one of the questions is what's one thing on your bucket list still. Second question is what advice would you give to the younger you. And the third question is, what's the best part about living in Wyoming? So we'll get there, but I just wanted to give you a heads up so you could kind of be thinking about nice it. Nice questions. We're... Yeah, yeah, I think they're good <laughs> questions. And, and it's always fun to hear kind of people's people's responses to those questions. So with that, Susan, let's talk about uh, where, where are you from? Where were you born? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Still a Steelers fan. Okay. Still a Steelers fan. So uh, you were born in Pittsburgh? Right. My family were Southerners, and they moved to Pittsburgh. My dad was an engineer, engineer at U.S. Steel during World War II. Okay. And did you live, um, I mean, did you grow up in Pittsburgh? Did you guys stay there? Did you move? 
Well, I, I was there until I went to college and I went to college at College of Worcester in Ohio. Okay. And then my family moved to Cleveland and I went to graduate mm -hmm. school in New York City at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I was kind of on a, uh, I'm going to explore the world thing. So yeah. I didn't go back to Pittsburgh. Now I'm fonder of Pittsburgh than I was growing up there. Yeah, that that's kind of a thing, right? You're, you you yeah. don't appreciate where you grow up until you're gone, and then you kind of that's long right. for it. And yeah, yeah. So, did you have siblings? I have an older brother. Okay. Um, and he lives in Arlington, Virginia, and we talk all the time, including yesterday. And we've both gotten our COVID shots. And I told him I am coming to visit, and he's going. No one else is allowed in our house yet, so I guess I'll have to wait. So did you get <laughs> did you get both of them? Did you get round one and two? Okay. Yeah. Any side effects from round two? Well, the second one, yeah, I yeah. was pretty tired. I couldn't. Well, free. If anyone watches Bridgerton, <laughs> I was watching Bridgerton. Yes. The last I, I watched the whole thing. I binged it. Okay. So the last one, where uh, the romance finally is fulfilled, I was so tired I couldn't lift my head off the couch. That's how tired I was. Oh, oh gosh! I had to watch it again just to get all the <laughs> you know racy parts. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so you've got your brother in our. What does he do in Virginia? He um he's a retired lawyer and started a uh, an experimental school in the Arling Arlington Public School District that still exists. Really? Because he right. was a a kid in it who didn't fit fit in yeah. <laughs> with regular high school, and he started a school for kids like him. Cool. Oh, like K, K through six, K through twelve. Um, it's actually um, I don't know if it's it must be seven through twelve. Okay. It's junior high and high school. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so one brother and your parents, um, dad worked for us steel, and then US steel. Company, which is why I'm such a Steelers fan and the Heinz, you know, stadium and all that stuff. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Do you get to go to games ever? <laughs> no, but it's on, that is on our bucket list. My husband okay. and I, and it was going to happen this year, but, uh, next year. Yeah. Uh, ben Roth, Ben Roethlisberger. Shaved his beard. It was so, you know, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's always had like a beard and he always looks sort of disheveled, but he's a great quarterback. But he shaved his beard and he looked like a 14 year old kid. I, know. I was like, who is that guy out practicing with the Steelers? And, and his game improved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so you grew up in Pittsburgh. Uh, were you a good student in school? I was. And I was editor of the um, school yearbook. Okay. Uh, and I'd say I was. They had these interest tests that you took, and I think I took it in eighth grade, and it said I should be a foreign correspondent or a park ranger. Okay. <laughs> and that, those are the directions I've gone completely. That's in interesting, life. yeah. Yeah, I've, and I remember my dad saying to me in high school, well, you can't go into newspapers because that's a dying industry. This would have been <laughs> in, what, 1960? <laughs> You probably reminded your husband, Dale, who was the longtime editor of the, you, you're like, Dale, you're in a dying industry for the last 50 years. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And of course, um, I took a long divergence toward broadcast before yeah. I wound up back in a print. But yeah. anyway. So um, so you head off to Worcester College and did you say Ohio? I, I don't even know where that is. It's in the middle of Ohio. It's okay. uh a really interesting kind of creative school where you do in the individual projects. And I did writing and uh, psychology where we experimented on rats' brains. And I kind yeah. of veered away from psychology after that. <laughs> after <experiment. laughs> 
But yeah. so I've always been, I've always wanted to write and be a journalist and a writer. So same thing in college, I was um, editor of the newspaper. Okay. And then I went to Columbia Journalism School, which was did a go, great experience. So did you go right from uh, undergrad at Worcester to Columbia for your uh, post, post-grad work? No, and that's kind of a story. So there were two guys and me editing the paper, and we all applied to Columbia, and they got in. I had higher test scores and stuff. And Columbia wrote to me and said, well, we have a 10% quota for women because you can't get jobs in journalism anyway. This was in 1967. So I moved to New York City. (laughs) I got a job as a secretary at the Columbia um, Teachers College and went in and pestered the um, admissions committee and then they accepted me the next year. And neither of the two guys went there or became journalists. But anyway. Yeah. So, and they don't have a quota anymore, by the way. Yeah. No, I don't expect that they do. <laughs> I graduated that's, that's, in 69. And we stay in touch. And it's a really, it was a class of 100. And in fact, there were 10 women in it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we, uh, it, well, what an interesting uh, span of years from 67 till now. And some of us are still working journalists and we've been, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you graduate from Columbia, did you say in 67, 69, 69? Uh, 69. master degree in 69. Okay. And um, I started working at W um, was it WCBS radio in New York uh, for the first summer when the moon landing occurred, <laughs> all mm-hmm. the stuff, it was pretty amazing. Wow. Oh, and, um, yeah, Woodstock. I knew some friends who were going to Woodstock, but I had to go to work. <laughs> so, oh, dang it. Like, and you saw all these posters in the subway, like, come on, you got to be kidding. All those people aren't going to be at that concert, but they were. They were. Yeah, they, they were, were. Yeah. Do you regret that you didn't take a, take a week off and go to Woodstock? Well, I have a couple of regrets, but what happened is I then moved to San Francisco. Two of my college friends were in Berkeley because I was kind of an adventurer mm-hmm. and I got to go to Altamont. <laughs> I did take time off to go to Altamont near San Francisco, which is where yeah. the Rolling Stones were. And there were some Hells Angels assaults and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so I did, I moved to San Francisco. I had a hard time. I used to flip a coin every day to decide whether I wanted to stay in New York or go to San Francisco. And I would see how I felt about which one came up, but I wanted to go to San Francisco and I had these friends there. So I moved there okay. in 70. So, so you were only in New York for a year. Well, I went to, I was there working one year and then um, in graduate school and then working again. So three years. Okay. Okay. Yes. So 70. other than just a coin flip, what was it that, what was it that made you say, Hey, I want to head to San Francisco? Well, you know, this song, if you're going to San Francisco, I mean, okay. Think about it. It's the seventies. <laughs> You go to San Francisco. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm humming it to myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. So as a matter of fact, the one kind of regret I had in my career is that I really wanted to be a war correspondent. And a couple of my fellow students at Columbia were drafted to Vietnam. And I I regret that I did not find a way to go to Vietnam as a journalist, but I didn't. Anyway, mm. I went to San Francisco. <laughs> Which yeah. was a fascinating ten ten years to be there from seventy to eighty. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Wow. So 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 talk about those ten years. What were some of the things that you were doing there? Where were you working? What was going on? I mean, a lot was going well, on. 
so I, I was, um, I had, by the way, just at Columbia, I was first gonna go to the fine arts school because I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I'd gone to some classes and I remembered this very successful filmmaker saying how she was, uh, oh, maybe in her late fifties, very successful, had an Oscar, I think, and was broke and trying to raise money to pay for her daughter's wedding. And I thought, ah. So I, I thought journalism would allow me to actually earn a living and make films. So I started out as a film editor, actually with actual film um, at a TV station in San Francisco. And okay, can we pause there? <laughs> Sorry, we got to Can we yeah. pause there for just a second? I just want to, because you know, film editing now, as you know, is very non-linear. You're dropping clips in; it's very right. fast. What did that look like? Splicing actual film together for a TV station. Well, I'm glad you asked. I had to wear little gloves, but my hands were smaller than all the other editors because once again, I was the only woman. <laughs> so I had to take these little gloves like this, and then the sound stripe is different. Mm -hmm on the edge of the film than the film. Yeah. So you had to splice it in a little splicer and do all this, hang all the pieces up, put it together. Um, and that was strangely, okay, this is so crazy, but I got that job because I was going around to all the stations in San Francisco, trying to see if there was anything open. Um, the film editor's dad died and he walked out and they needed somebody to cut some film to show that night. Isn't that crazy? So the guy said, well, let's give her a try. So I, uh, that was my first job. Did you, did you know how to cut film and splice it together? We, we learned that like, no. yeah, at Columbia. It was, okay. that was a terrific thing about Columbia. You had to learn to do everything in okay. a, that a newsroom did, including the physical things like that. And yeah. I remember thinking, since they told me I would never get a job, <laughs> that I should be able to do as many skills as I could to, and it's funny, it just worked out that way. I'm going to know yeah. how to do everything. So if something opens. I can get the job. Okay. So I got the job as a film editor. And then pretty soon after that became a writer um, and then a producer of the news shows. Yeah. And of course it was pretty fun because, well, let's see, there was the Zodiac killer. There was mm -hmm. Patty Hearst kidnapping there. And then by the time um, the Harvey Milk, um, Mayor Mas Moscone thing came along. I was a city hall reporter and I had wanted to be on camera, but I was not glamorous and there were no women on camera. And then yeah. they hired a mommy mm -hmm. to be on camera <laughs> and I was still producing, but I finally decided, I finally got to cover city hall. Um, and it was fascinating. And so all the things that happened in San Francisco in those years were completely fascinating. And there were, they were just beginning with live shots and the Patty Hearst kidnapping was very big. And at one point, uh, the family had a big mansion in Hillsborough. And I was stationed at the tree because <laughs> we had a phone hooked up. We didn't have live shots in those days. So there was a phone attached to the tree in case Patty Hearst came home on her birthday. And so I, I was sorry I didn't take a picture of the um, schedule for the day because they had Anderson, Hillsborough tree. So that was my deal. They're <laughs> waiting for Patty Hearst to come home. Wait, you actually hooked a phone up to like a, a tree? Yep. On the, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, isn't that funny to think, you poor guys, before there were live shots and, yeah. you know, satellite dishes and stuff. So when you see movies, you know, because movies have been, you know, I think of Milk, the the, the movie that was made. That the, is the one movies of my about Zodiac. I knew Harvey Milk. Um, yeah. I, I remember the, you know. Well, actually, I was walking out of my TV station, which was at that point 
six blocks from City Hall. And one of the cameramen came running in and he said, they got, they got Moscone and milk. And we had previously, someone had tried to shoot their way into our uh, glass fronted studio, which was bulletproofed because just, it was a crazy person who felt his brain was being run by my TV station. But anyway, so there was a lot of stuff like that, but this guy just came up and said that. And yeah. Um, yeah. So you lived, I mean, you know, I, like you mentioned the Zodiac killer and, and there've been movies, you know, Patty Hearst, there've been movies when you see those, are you like, well, that's pretty accurate or that's not really how it went down. I mean, cause you, you were there, you were right on the front line. Yeah. Well, the Harvey Milk one uh, I thought was terrific. Yeah. And I took my daughter to it um, when she was a teenager and she was like, couldn't believe it. Uh, and I was covering City Hall when they had, um, when Harvey Milk ran and when Dan White, who shot Harvey Milk ran and when uh, Moscone was the mayor. Um, you know, by the way, this still continued. I still maybe only one of two women in the newsroom at that point. And I was at a news conference that Mayor Moscone was holding. And at one point he looked at me and he said, do all of you know that Susan Anderson is a Mill Valley housewife? Because I was married and had a child, but I was covering City Hall, and there were—I don't know—it was mysterious. All of them. <laughs> you know, talk about if you wouldn't mind, like what it was like to be in a male-dominated industry. I mean, I, you know, like what was your experience like? Um, well, first I should tell you, right now I'm reading a book about Dorothea Lange, you know, who was a great photographer in the '30s. Mm -hmm. 1930s and so people were doing this women have been doing this stuff forever but for me in those days um at first when i went out to san francisco and i thought having a master's from columbia was pretty hot stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah. one guy said well we would never send a woman out at night or wouldn't send you on a dangerous story you know and they're talking to me who had wanted to go to vietnam <laughs> and there have always been women war correspondents but um so for a long time in the newsroom, I wore um, blue jeans and cowboy boots because I felt I had to act like a guy. Um, yeah. And and I had terrible language, like all the guys in the newsroom. And, and I was kind of tough because I was very focused on producing newscasts. And I wasn't exactly, you know, if, if you didn't have the story in on time, I was not tolerant of that. I'm a much nicer person now than I was. Um, <laughs> So I, and I'll just tell you an example. So maybe when I was 25, I was producing the 10 o'clock news at the big ABC station in San Francisco. And there were two male anchors and the one came in and he was really stoned. Uh, he had been taking some kind of pills and alcohol. And I mean, I felt sorry for him, but he couldn't like his eyes were, he, he was terrible. And I said, you can't go on the air. And I'm 25, right? And he's probably mm. 50. And he said, well, um, don't ruin my career. You can't say that. And I said, no, you can't go on the air. And so he didn't. And it did not ruin his career because we all just said he was sick. Yeah. Um, but I had that. I had a focus that I wanted the show to be good. And I wasn't going to put up with anything that would destroy it. Yeah. So, um, But finally, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny to me now that I felt like I had to act like a guy to get respect. Because then I got married and I was pregnant and producing news shows. And um, the news director decided to take me off of the show because his wife was sick when she was pregnant. So I wasn't producing <laughs> the news show. But then one day the producer of the show was sick and I produced it. 
And that was the one they submitted for the Emmys and it won. Yeah. But you know, it's just they they there've always been women who wanted to accomplish stuff. Of course. And yeah. in it was just mystifying to people like that boss who I was not like his wife. Anyway. Yeah. But the nice thing was that if you could do something well, you could move ahead. So I mm -hmm. felt good about it. My shows were a success. We had overnight ratings. So you could see if you're, the way you put the newscast together was appealing to people. And yeah. so because I always got good ratings, I was able to advance. Didn't you win a couple of Emmys? I won, I won one Emmy for that show. But then the two that were personal Emmys I won were... Um, crazy thing. I got to go to Cuba when the congressional delegation with Ron Dellums, who started a black delegation, uh -huh. um, got invited by Fidel Castro. And he was with a bunch of people. And, and Ron Dellums was from San Francisco. So my station sent me, I was the only white person to go on this because I was such a ruthless producer. And so I went to Cuba with them and um, we, uh, we met Fidel Castro, we got these tours. I almost got myself arrested by trying to sneak off in the streets and interview people, which you were not allowed to do in Cuba at that yeah. time. And uh, But we did do a documentary that we had a lot of great interviews and I did get some interviews with people uh, on the street as it were. And it, so I, I won an Emmy for producing it and then another one for writing it. And it ran nationally on Westinghouse, which was a like ABC or NBC um, yeah. chain at that time. So um, that, that so experience in Cuba, I mean, they were sort of at the height of their, or, or maybe I'm trying to, what year was that? Early seventies. And we entitled our documentary Yankee come back because they were trying to reach out and get more um, tourism and yeah. trade. And so by inviting the black caucus people to come, it was a first step toward a relationship with the U S Interesting. But I was really naive. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to walk down the street and interview whoever I want. And of course, that didn't happen. There were people following me. And yeah. Yeah. So did you shoot? You must have shot a bunch of film because you created a documentary about this trip, right? Yeah. Right. And there was a cameraman who went. Okay. So there was a cameraman and a reporter named um, Belva Davis and me as the as the um Producer. producer and the yeah. producer is like the organizer or kind of directs where the um, interviews are going to go. And then I, I spent six months editing it. Wow. And uh, the funny thing is we've got a copy of it at my house, but we can't find it. <laughs> that, that was so, my next question. That was my yeah. next question. Is this available? I would love to see it. I want to see it. Yeah. It's called Yankee Comeback. And I'll, Oh, this is so interesting. So this is in the seventies and because Fidel Castro came along, you know, in 59, all the cars are from, the, were from the fifties. It was, I, I did some kind of fun parts of this documentary with all the cars from the fifties. It was like the Godfather two movie. Okay. So Susan, you have some homework. You got to find <laughs> yeah, that. I got to find it. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I um, really want to see that. It sounds fascinating. Well, and one of the things I've always brought to my career is having fun with things too. And so mm -hmm. it was a very serious documentary. We did get to interview Fidel Castro. Wow. Um, and I spoke reasonably decent Spanish. So that was one of the reasons they chose me to go on this thing. But also it was very fun to do things like go to the Fontainebleau where the 
girls, you know, the sort of showgirls with the dances and the hats and stuff, but they were singing Americans out of Guantanamo Bay. It was just like the whole thing was <laughs> a lot of crazy things. And then yeah. with the beautiful cars from the 50s. And the people were wonderful and friendly to us. They hadn't seen Americans in forever because I think Barbara Walters had gone before we did. And then we were the second American crew to get to go. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you got to find that. Yeah, I gotta find it. <laughs> you, do you have it like on a video cassette, like a like a VHS it's cassette? It's on a really old. It's a half inch. Wait, it might okay. be a three quarter inch. Well, okay. The truth is, my husband gave it to a friend of ours to make a copy for me, and the friend can't find it. He remains nameless. <laughs> well, <laughs> for now, if you, anyway. If you tell for us now, who it is, we will. We'll, we'll, we'll turn up the heat and find it. It's around. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. I think that would be. I would and we used a lot it. of music. Yeah. I had fun producing, as you as you can hear, in the 70s. And mm -hmm. when I was doing newscasts, I would use a lot of the music from the Bay Area with stories that we would do. And I used a lot of great Cuban music with our uh, video that we shot. Okay. Well, yeah, hopefully we can track that down. Hopefully you can find it and, and convert it. It needs to be on YouTube. Yeah. Because if you have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so at some point you went to Mexico for an international women's conference or something along those and lines. And that was two years after that because of my so-called ability with Spanish. Okay. Existence, <laughs> sort of. That <laughs> <laughs> was the same deal where they sent me as the producer and, you know, and kind of the person to make stuff happen. And what I really did in Mexico City Women's International Women's Conference was um, – take the film in taxis to the airport and bribe someone to get it back to San Francisco. That was my job. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I figured that out, that that was how you could get it onto the plane and get it back in time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so talk about, um, and we, um, I want you to talk about, well, first, what year did you come to Wyoming? 1980. 1980. So we're about in the time frame where you're looking at coming to Wyoming. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to talk about sort of how you made that decision because you've done a lot since you got here. So we're going to have to cut this into two. We're going to do two, yeah, if that's we'll okay, if you'll parts. come back and, and, and finish this conversation with us. But sure, I would love um, to. Tell, yeah, tell us about, um, you know, how that decision happened. What, what, you know, what went into that? Well, I was getting tired of, I had those wonderful opportunities in San Francisco, but I was getting tired of what they used to call the superficial happy news stuff that was happening. It was getting a little too entertainment oriented mm -hmm. for me. And I have always loved Wyoming since my family came through in the fifties and I went to Yellowstone and I've always been an outdoors person. So I used to ski in Lake Tahoe from San Francisco. It was a like seven hour drive. You had to put chains on your car, all this stuff. And I came out to visit Wyoming uh, in the summer and I caught a fish fly fishing in a stream down there encampment. And I was just like, this is so beautiful. I should live here. And I did, I was divorced and had a five-year-old son at the time. And I was commuting and had this very high powered job, but not enough time with my son. And so it was a personal decision to live the more outdoor sort of life I wanted. But I have to tell you, I never expected that the journalistic challenges and opportunities would be even better in Wyoming than they were in San Francisco. Interesting. Well, that's a nice kind of teaser for, 
for our next conversation. I mean, I will say this, you were wearing boots and Wranglers in the newsroom in, in San Francisco. So, yeah. you know, you, you belonged in Wyoming. You just didn't know it. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I did say, um, I need to go somewhere where I can buy these clothes from L.O. Bean that I like to buy. Cause I didn't really have much use for them in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> so next time, next time we'll talk about coming to Wyoming. I want to talk about sort of where you met Dale, how that all happened. I want to talk about your time in the legislature, some of the work that you, I mean, you've done, like I said, this, we've got probably oh, another gosh. hour of content that we want to talk about, but um, with that, uh, we'll make you ask, we'll make you answer the questions next time too, if that's okay. Yeah. Cause that would take, longer than you have. <laughs> yeah. 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 We <laughs> try to keep these to, to about a half an hour. Oh, thank you, Susan. And, and I'm really looking forward to our next conversation and we'll, we'll let you know and we can get you back And but thanks for joining us and, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.